Happy hashtag podcast day, Nathan. Is it hashtag podcast day or hashtag international podcast day? Because I saw both today, I think. Or is it national? I don't know. I don't know either. We are neophyte dabblers into this world and thus don't know all the rules. I thought I was good at hashtags, but apparently I, I'm not because I don't because I don't know what the official hashtag of national podcast or international podcast day is. Well, happy podcast day to you, our podcast listeners, as we record this podcast. What did you get me? I got you some questions for further discussion, my friend. This is the Design Games Podcast. My name is Nathan Paletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. What are we talking about this week, Will? This week, Nathan, we are talking about reward systems and drilling a little deeper into some specific examples than we were able to in the previous episode, episode nine, Reward Cycles. Previously on the Design Games podcast. We talked about reward cycles on kind of a high level and uh, dare I say theoretical approach. I feel that it is incumbent upon us to, to make sure that we talk about some more nuts and bolts. For my own thinking, uh, reward systems um, or reward mechanics one can use to drive the reward cycles of one's game. Reward cycles are all about rewarding behaviors. So what behaviors can you identify to reward in your game? Treating pretty much any given behavior as legitimate, right? How do you decide which behaviors you want to reward and what are, the, what are different kind of classes of behavior that maybe you don't think about first off the bat when you're constructing your game and that could bear some right. extra consideration? I, what I love about how hard this question is for me to answer, what I realize is that attempting to answer it at a high level is very, very hard because specifics are all about what you're emphasizing, what you're mm-hmm. trying to reward. It has to be something yeah. specific or else it's a pretty It's a little weak contingent. Reward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so what I what I would say is that I would first go to what is the game about mm-hmm. and how is it about it, right? So the, if the question is about can I kill kobolds or do I kill kobolds, those are two different questions. And so... Mm. That's actually, yeah, I think can I and do I is actually a really interesting place to think about it. And the first thing that makes me think about is the game 316. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, you're kind of 40K-ish, but not 40K. Space Marines, uh, kind of Starship troopers also. You play these warrior characters as you go to planets and fight bugs and other aliens and whatever. Instead of saying, can you kill the aliens? The game says, how many aliens do you kill? The damage mechanic isn't a, how much damage do you do or do you do damage? It's when you use your weapon, how many aliens do you kill? Right. And your kill count actually is what feeds back into um, the higher level reward system of like gaining, like your stats changing and gaining rank and eventually getting to a decision point about what weapons of mass destruction you may or may not be able to use, which to me is one of the points of the game is, is it actually presents you with these questions of when, if ever, is it appropriate to use this kind of violence? And, and it gets you there, not just from the initial moment of play points at that so that you have a context, a different context when you get the chance to make that decision during play than you had if I were to just ask you that question before showing you the book. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it has that, so the, those different cycles, that moment to moment kill alien cycle feeds up into this higher level, but not necessarily bigger 
it's not a more ornate or more complicated cycle of whether or not you will deploy these larger weapons, right? The rank up, level up mechanic and stuff is very simple. Mm-hmm. It's not a terribly granular game and it's not a, a, a very um, elaborate game. It's, I mean, it's, it's, there's lots of fun stuff to do in it, but it's also, it's, it's reach does not exceed its grasp. It knows very much what it set out to do. Right. That, this is Gregor Hutton again, and, and he's, mm-hmm. he, you and I are both fans of his work. So it's worth, I think, saying yeah, his name. But there's, there's nothing extraneous in the game. Right. Right. Every, everything in there has a, has a purpose and, and feeds into one or more of the moment to moment or kind of sessiony level advancement. Yeah. Cycles. E- even though those cycles, they get elevated, but not, you know, bigger or more ornate just because they are, they're not nested. They're yeah. a chain. Yeah. And so that's a great example too, I think of, of the, the game where its choices are in the reward cycle are in interesting places, not just they don't necessarily mirror the choices that your character makes. It's not like your character sets the gun to kill 20 aliens. They're presumably pulling the trigger over and over again, even though I rolled the dice once, right? Like that that relationship of the fictional action to the action that the game is taking is different than a lot of the similar games that model space marine shooting alien hordes of alien monsters mm. um, in some ways because the game chooses to be about that in its way. So it's reward cycle. I think there are a lot of uh, uh, reward cycles that we assume we want to tie, or we start with by tying into things like an ammo counter or a hit point counter or whatever it is. Um, And just drawing those things into question helps say something about what the game is about and what the reward cycle is, what the reward is rewarding, what, what it wants us to think about and how. You can reward taking a specific action or set of actions or class of actions or having your character take them, right? You can also reward not taking a certain class of actions by setting up a, some kind of dynamic where you have, it, you have choices and sometimes the path not taken is the one that starts hooking into your reward cycles. Yeah, so uh, uh, if, there's a, if, if one of the options in your game is one of your standard actions, let's say, is to sheath your weapon, that creates the notion or, or, or can then interact with other parts of the game or if a move is to sheath your weapon, mm-hmm. then one of the moves can be do not participate. Instead of participating in this violence, I will sheath my weapon. Right. Which is just as difficult to make as an analog example because the analog examples are always, there are, there are so many more options. Mm-hmm. But it's easier to imagine, and I'm, I, there have been games in which the option is lower your weapon instead of, mm. you know, kill the bad guy at the end of the game or whatever, often with binary endings or whatever. Well, but yeah, uh, we're, we're, but again, where you have those notions that not just is is not just not going all the way from opting out and not all the way to picking one of these complicit actions, mm-hmm. but having a truly analog system in which you have options in between which are well, I choose not to. Yeah, you have a spectrum of options. A spectrum of options. Um, yeah. I mean, we're going to keep coming back again and again because it keeps being pertinent. But the Apocalypse World games, the way that it presents how moves are constructed and phrased, does a good job of creating those situations where as a designer you say this is a this is a thing that happens in this world that i want to make sure that people do right right for example in apocalypse world Mm -hmm. you have seize by force and you have go aggro and those are two different moves for perpetrating violence but the, the the way that they're phrased is such that people new to the game often come come up with the question like wait a second if I don't want if I don't want something from you and I'm willing to perpetrate force to get it, which is go aggro, mm-hmm. right? Do this where I'll bash your head in with my chainsaw club. And it's not seized by force. I don't want to just kill you and take your life by force, which is often is looked at for that version of violence. I just want to 
injure you or something like that, how do I do that? There's no move. Right. And the answer is doing that. It is at a different part of the system. It's in fictional positioning and then exchanging harm for harm or the, the MC is looking at the NPC through crosshair. So, oh, you want to injure him? Sure. Go ahead. Right. Because that's right. part of the MC's mandate is not really care about their well-being specifically. So that's a choice that Vincent made where he's like, the nature of violence in this world is finally split depending on what your goal for that violence is. It's not simply when you attack someone or right, right. when you use a weapon or something like that, which it could be, right, in a different, right. in a different and the, version. As plenty, plenty of uh, other games attempting to use the Apocalypse Engine for good or ill, or all using it for good, but have successfully or unsuccessfully used other approaches to violence in their games. Mm-hmm. And by which I mean successfully, I just mean in terms of whether modula- or, uh, modeling a genre or meeting their audience or whatever it is. But right. like Dungeon World Hack and Slash is... Very much befitting Dungeon World, right. but a very different approach yeah, to how Yeah, and it's basically, works. yeah, like, you know, you, you have weapons, you're using them, you are engaging in combat. Is the split of violence in Apocalypse World, as, and as you say, if you're a newcomer to Apocalypse World, you have a kind of different relationship to it than people who have been on forums for Apocalypse World. Mm-hmm. Is it intentionally confusing? Which move oh, should I use? Sure. What I've decided an action, mm. and I cannot filter it into the game correctly because mm-hmm. neither one of these does what I want it to do, and the GM won't let me just shoot this guy, mm-hmm. or won't let me hurt or threaten without doing one of these things. That, that's that to me is where number one of the the number the first time yeah yeah that things tend to break down is because people come to this game having seen Mad Max movies and think I'm just going to do casual violence, and the violence in Apocalypse World can be quick and easy, but is seldom that casual. Right. You know what I mean? In a good way, it's a very mm. powerful game. I mean, I, mean, I think it's. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I imagine whether the the question of whether that is an intentional stumbling block. Oh, here's a point that people are going to have to deal with to get into Mm -hmm. how violence works in this game versus here's how it works. And, oh, a lot of people are having trouble with this. I mean, we we could ask Vincent and find out. Um, I, I don't have any insight into that question. I mean, I had that stumbling block when I, the first time I played that game was like, you know, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. Oh, which move do we use? Right. And then having to backfill a little bit of what do I actually want out of this action? Right. Right. I think it's a great example because it shows not only that Apocalypse World is about particular kinds of violence, and it's about thinking as players about those different kinds of violence. You can be strategic about it, right? Depending on your stats and and what uh, other moves you have and any forward you might have from previous roles. The extent to which it rewards somebody for not fighting, but instead just arranging things so that all I have to do is push a button and people die. Mm-hmm. So that it is not a question of, I mean, so that cold calculated destruction. Right. Is that is, is certainly possible, but it takes a bunch of setup. Yeah. Versus. Right. And is it, that, and is it rewarded in the sense of it happens, mm-hmm. but the game actually does very little to reward that behavior separate in the sense of like what do you get out of it well those people are dead well people die all the time in this game who cares right right so it has a very measured or 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 allows the campaign and the the mc to very particularly measure uh how that is rewarded as opposed to automatically saying each kobold slain is this much xp which i think is interesting in that where the violence in that game feeds into the next into the next machine or the next system in the game and it's not necessarily those moves that make it possible for me to be a better gunfighter or a right. better chainsaw wielder or a you know, better battle babe or whatever again it's, it's contingent on what which of your moves are or which of your stats are highlighted and you know if you're if your hard is highlighted then being violent is something that you are probably going to want to do but if it's not 
then you might not get anything out of it other than the fictional you know, satisfaction or, or whatever driving the story forward that right. you want to be doing in that moment. Yeah, so taking specific actions or not taking specific actions, I think under under that set is also rewarding like certain contributions in a larger sense where it's not necessarily a, a character action, but there's certain contributions you can make to the game, maybe not through your character, uh, but on a, a different level that themselves can be rewarded. I'm thinking here of Primetime Adventures where you can contribute something into a scene it doesn't necessarily have to be your character doing right. a thing or it doesn't necessarily have to be advantageous to you to have contributed it mm-hmm. could just be a, a a phrase or a funny voice or a way of explaining it visually for the camera quotes right and other people can give you fan mail which you then use to uh to your mechanical advantage when you do have to engage in the card play to see how the scene goes for your character right by distinct when the game distinguishes between character behavior and player behavior mm-hmm. Uh, and it can create a situation in which you can reward a player behavior, even if their character's behavior is possibly for good player behavior reasons, contrary to either that character's previous action or the or the demands of the day or the demands of the adventure, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big believer in that, that you want to target both in a game, but not necessarily in a singular system. Mm-hmm. You can you can demonstrate your a, a character's like trait or or their what they mean or kind of their intention or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that that in itself, they can be a bad character. Like they right. can be a, a horrible person in the fiction of your game. Right. But you can portray that in such a compelling way that you get rewarded for your portrayal of the, the evil kobold killing baron or whatever. Well, or, or even if it's the matter that you're playing a character who is bad at being something that they... So the game is about what it's about. Let's say it's a game about gunfighters. And uh, uh, or let's say it's a game about World War One fighter pilots again. Yes. And let's say that my character is a gunner. I'm a uh, I, I I work the turret in the back, and I'm also a photographer, and I'm a spy photographer. And my primary purpose is to take photos of the battlefield. And my character is good at that. My character is a terrible shot. I, as a player, may be rewarded for playing a terrible shot well, even while my character is just face planting or humiliating himself in the aspect of the game in which shooting down enemy planes gets me stuff. Right. So the character is not out of scope of the game. It's not out of the the arena of play. It's not a a contrarian or an obtuse character. But the character's identity and the character's shtick happens to define himself as being contrary to the expertise that the game primarily highlights. Many games are about character competence, right? And right. so they tend to reward being competent and enable you enable your character to be more competent for for having been competent. Having you get more competent, competent right? Right. But a game could can very well be about, I mean, being incompetent, right? Uh, or just at some times you're good at some things, but there are other times where you're not good. Right. And so still playing that and having it be a, a meaningful part of the game can be separated out from whether the character is achieving their moment-to-moment goals. Ex- yeah, exactly. And that's important to me uh, because I think it, I think it's an underutilized design space in some ways because I love games about character competence, but I also like stories about characters being good but not good enough or mm-hmm. uh, or, or inconsistently good or, you know, whatever. I mean, I like drama. Do you think, because I feel like you probably have more experience with this game than I do, but do compels and fate fall under this a little bit? You know, what's interesting is, is I mean, I, I personally think they do. 
in the sense that I mean, I very much think they do. Um, I can say that they absolutely do in an, in a practical experiential sense. Mm. I don't, I can't speak intelligently as to whether or not they were designed. Sure. Right. But, but I, the, I've seen them use this way. Yeah, like, absolutely. So the, the idea, uh, if you're not familiar that my character has a certain aspect, right. You know, it's a little phrase about, you know, I'm a ace photographer, photographer, spy photographer. Right. Right. And then, the GM can offer me a fate point to kind of highlight like a negative, some some kind of negative thing that comes out of that aspect. Or, or you may even have aspects that are uh, an aspect that naturally contains its opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dedicated parent. So there's some, so you're spending time. Some of you're you're dedicated to being a parent. So what is it that you've had to give up to spend time with your mm-hmm. children or whatever? So the, yeah. So compel for that maybe like you have to leave this this fraught town hall meeting because your babysitter's calling you and since you're a dedicated parent right like, here's a fate point if you leave you know if you cell phone goes off at the soccer game yeah kind of thing. will you take the call yeah timmy, will you take timmy, the call? timmy looks over at you yeah and then if you do you get the point and then that kind of but that kind of uh takes you i don't know if negative is the right word but kind of right i think very often unfortunately they are but that's not the, that's not contained in the it, that, that's not the rules aren't don't limit it to negative, right? right. The fact is that it's it's a complication, right? It complicate yeah. it complicates yeah. the story for your character, yeah. Uh, and you can you have the power to refuse, a right? Compel. And you can be like, no, I'm not taking that call, and then you don't get the point, and right. that's fine because your reward for that is you you get to continue on in uncomplicated path uh, through the scene or whatever right. you're right. doing, and it can come at a cost of paying a fate point to say no. Instead, I will pay a fate point to not take a fate point. Oh, okay. Um, so there's it comes a point in the economy where you may be either looking for compels, which great fate players in their most writerly modes in my experience, not only love being in a position to take compels, right. but are very good at putting themselves in a position so that the compels that come in are in alignment with their notion of the character. They make because sense. They're, yeah, but because their notion of the character doesn't isn't purely about competence. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's why fate very often becomes a game that, that does also feel like it's modeling TV dramas and things at the same time. Um, I've had a game in playtest for years and years and years that I played a couple of times called Medic, which is about futuristic EMTs in a city where the the uh, of space aliens and humans and stuff, where the goal is to run around the city and put hit points back on people as fast as you can. And the Medic part of the game is a damned mess. It's not good. <laughs> I've worked on it off and on for years, and it's still no good. But the part of the game that interacts with your job, I really really like, and I've used the, I mentioned this mechanic before on the on the show where your percentage is not your chance of success, it's your rate of success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's designed in part because so that players can submit, I will fail on this action to get this thing that will make me better in the future. The character's not making that decision. The character wants very much to save this alien's life. Mm-hmm. But the player says, look, I see the story here. It's going to be a great story when I can't, when the, we just don't have this alien's blood type in our planet. We don't, there's not enough blood on the planet to save this guy's life or whatever it is. Or the player can make it tr- interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's partially that the player can, has, the, has the ability to do that. And the game changes how often they have to do it or when they have to do it and things like that and how the players dare each other to do it and so forth. And that's really where the game is. That's really what, the, what I wanted the game to be about is it's, it is about TV dramas, TV workplace dramas in much the same way that primetime adventures can be. But one is about television and one is about a genre, mm-hmm. right? They're very different games. Yeah. But the reward cycle on that is player driven in a lot of ways and is also based on that notion of competence until and competence mm-hmm. except because I wanted to call into question the notion that being competent at a thing is automatically 
what the player wants, right. which is the inherent assumption, right? In so mm-hmm. many games, it's just like, you're good at a thing. So to get better at it, be good at it. And then you'll get better at it. And I'm always like, okay, so what if I like want to be good at it, Sometimes. but not humiliated to be like my D&D warlord who just couldn't <laughs> roll for, sh- for shit? Right. Or what do I do if I want to be, if I want to portray somebody getting good at it? I can't get better at it unless, I mean, there are games where you get XP for failing, which I love. There are games where you get XP for success, which I love. There's so many great systems, but every once in a while I want to play a character who starts off being, you know, competent mm-hmm. World War One fighter pilot, becomes ace World War One fighter pilot. Yeah. And like in a lot of games, it's like, no, just be the best you can be at every level. Yeah. And the leveling system will take care of you. Player-driven reward. I think maybe that's worth talking about for a second. Yeah. Because that's a thing. That's clearly a thing. Yeah. Like the when the reward cycle is driven by the player's desire to get a thing or do a do a thing, whatever. But that also creates the the other options, which would be like a GM driven of some kind, mm-hmm. and then the kind of mechanically, I don't know, if, like game game driven essentially, like kind of the, the the mechanical cycle that once it is engaged, right, the the actions at the table are providing inputs, and every so often it kind of spits outputs, which is kind of a basic D and D leveling system. It's it's the pacing is dictated by the monsters in question and the the events at the table but once you start playing the game the system just kind of clicks right along as long as you are playing as, the game. as long as you don't yeah fail out of saving throws or whatever yeah. right i yeah. mean unless you yeah if the characters die or whatever you know it's interesting i i, I want to there's a hair i want to split just because i think mm-hmm. yeah and this is a question like yeah is the what what are the different ranges because i haven't thought about this really but well what, I, what I i'm curious is, do you think there's a difference between a game-driven reward system and a designer-driven reward system mm. at what point is that the same thing mm-hmm. i mean i think the designer can set it, sets it up right put all the the wheels in place right i mean admitting i guess what i'm thinking of is a cosmetic difference sure um and maybe no difference at all maybe that thing that a distinction without a difference or whatever but is that what i'm imagining is either one in which the game is the same but the designer has created different setting reasons why there are actually three mechanisms instead of one and they're really three of the same mechanism and i just pick which one to do mm. factions or whatever mm-hmm. or if they are a system where the game has come in from a previous, I know is from a previous designer, is from a previous game or from a game that we don't know the designer of. It's from, you know, poker or chess or something that we don't have a specific author for. And so, and then the the designer is, I'm trying to think of, a, of, a, of an example here where the designer is overtly a participant as well, opposed to one in which they set the game, they, they help you get the game running and then they, and then they never know about it. Right. I mean, if it's a, if it's a game that does not respond to the events of, of an individual game, then I think that's not a very compelling role-playing experience. If mm-hmm. it's a game where, maybe just to make a really, for the sake of argument example, when you start playing, start a clock, you know, every five minutes... The high roller gets an XP. Yeah, I was going to say, or, uh, you know, everyone gains a level. Right. 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 And then, and that's it. And you just play, and no matter what's going on, every five minutes, hope you gain a level, hope you gain a level. Yeah, we didn't actually play. We just turned the clock on, right. waited, waited till we were level ten, and then started playing. So, like in that <laughs> sense, you know, I guess that's that that's a that's what comes to mind when I think of what would something where it's a completely designer dependent thing be. Part of it is still the whole opting in thing. You can set up all the stuff you want, right? But if you have the player there that is just not interested in actually engaging with the game, 
no matter how subtle and clever your reward system, they just don't, they're, they're not going to engage with it and it's not going to work. Yeah, I think what it is, I think that I'm splitting, I think I'm erroneously, and you're absolutely right. I think what I'm doing is I'm, I've created this position for the designer out of a portion of the game and the GM. Sure. When really the designer kind of has to be an umbrella over the two of those in mm. the hierarchy, but not in time because the designer is almost never present right. in, time, I mean, the di- in, in the game. You know what I mean? So like when it, when, what, I guess what I'm talking about is essentially time-shifted GM involvement. Sure. So a GM can be part of a reward cycle. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the designer is the first GM. In a way. In yeah. a way, if you will, in this, in this notion, right? But, the, mm-hmm. but th- what they're essentially doing is they're giving the, whatever, whatever designer purview is not contained by the game that mm-hmm. I'm thinking about is bequeathed to the players or the GM yeah. when they take over, when they start playing. Mm-hmm. So the designer as, I'm putting air quotes, scare quotes up now, um, as a reward factor, as a mechanism in the reward cycle, mm-hmm. is really just the GM or the player role time shifted. And that I'm giving you, I'm pre-giving the players rewards to dole out or whatever it is. Right, like right. here's an example of what, what I mean when I say give somebody a point. You can give them a green point, a leafy point, a sure. lightning point, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Is, is creating content, for example, before the GM and the player get there so that it's just one less thing for them to do. Yeah. It's the same role. I'm just kind of, by time shifting it, I'm wondering yeah. if that was a different job I mean, and you it's can, not. I mean, you can do right, a, a better or worse job of identifying the reward systems and saying, mm. this is how this game works. And that was actually something in Worldwide Wrestling that through the playtest process, I was like, oh, it would really help people to just have a brief breakdown of when in doubt, do these things, because this is how the rewards, the overall reward systems in this game work, which is Mm. you need to get momentum to give yourself bonuses to roles. You need to perform well in matches and to, to build heat with each other, because when you have enough heat with each other, that's when you gain popularity. And when you gain popularity, that's how you get advancements. Right. So like, that's the very basic, like there's there's arrows between each of momentum to making roles, to getting heat, to gaining audience. So when in doubt, if you don't have anything else compelling going on, look for how to get those things in that order. Mm-hmm. And that was that was helpful for people who, who weren't like active wrestling fans because that's modeled on how wrestlers get popular, basically. So yeah, I just have like a little breakdown in a paragraph in the in the first section of the book, like here's how it works. Don't worry about the details, all the different numbers and when they reset and all that stuff. But here are the capital, you know, the capital letter game terms right. to, to watch out for. And here's the order in which you want to approach them. That's a great thing to do. And I love because you're modeling a system that sort of already exists, you're dramatizing or reportraying a system that is already dramatic and already exists in a different way. And not just not just taking the rules for another medium and making them rules in this medium. You are making them so that accomplishing these goals feels like accomplishing those or so that they relate similarly. And that's important, I think, because one of the things I was thinking about after recording part one was the question, why do I want that? And I don't mean it like, why do I want that feat, which is, or why do I want that spell or whatever, which can be apt, but the question of, and that will get you elf dollars. Why do I want elf dollars? What do those buy me? They buy you different swords. They'll do the same damage, but they, you will be able to have cosmetic differences to your sword. What do I care? Reward, mm-hmm. so, I, so what you've just told me is that I don't need that reward cycle. I can ignore off dollars. I'll do something else. Right. Like if I don't want the, the final thing in this right. chain, right. then why do I care about the first thing in the chain? One, why in this case, like why do I want advancements in worldwide wrestling? Right. And in that, yeah. So answering that question is like, because that's how you get to do more cool stuff. Right. And that, right? I had the similar, a similar situation at actually both ends of the cycle that I went through in Dark, where in Dark you steal stuff so you can get more money, so you can get better at stealing stuff so you can get more money. And intentionally, that's in part designed 
twofold because in the fiction it does one thing and in the game it, it does something else. Mm-hmm. And in the game, the thing it does is it points out that you will never, if you ever get, you either have to retire and get off this treadmill like you see the, you know, the great thieves of old say, man, I, I don't do that anymore. One mm-hmm. last job. One or last job, yeah. Or, or you will eventually get caught because you can't just keep that spinning forever because every time you go to work every day, you're risking getting caught. But the other thing is that fictionally, the answer is great. So now you are as rich as the people you were stealing from. Are you any different from them? And the mm-hmm. answer is almost always yes, but the question is still valid. Mm-hmm. How or why are you different? But I had to put those in there mechanically because otherwise the notion is like the assumption in the game is that it will be fun to sneak around places and steal stuff. Right. And if it wasn't, if I, if I fail at making that true, then, then <laughs> which, which was part of the pressure put on myself, the game, if this doesn't work, then I obviously have no game yeah. to begin with. <laughs> at a, I mean, at a certain level, it's it's back to, you know, what what is the actual reward for playing this game? And it's, right. it's a, why, why are you enjoying it? What aspect of playing this game is giving you fulfillment? For people who, who would be inclined to play Dark, you're like, oh, sneaking around, stealing stuff. That sounds like something I would enjoy doing, like in this game. Right. But if you are playing that with your friends, and they're really into that part, and you're kind of like, oh, well, I like playing with your, with my friends. Then you have your mechanical reward system that sits in sits in there because like, oh, well, maybe if I get, well, maybe I'm just going to aim to get a bunch of money so I can steal better. Mastering the game itself can be its own reward cycle. It's kind of like a, kind of as a meta thing, especially for games that are a little more complicated or have a little more going on mechanically where Mm -hmm. I want to play this game. I feel like I see this with uh, Burning Wheel a lot where (laughs) people are like, I want to play this game until I have internalized how the fight mechanics work or until I've internalized Duel of Wits or Mm -hmm. until I don't have to look at the book every five minutes to figure out what I'm doing. The game doesn't give you Arda for doing that, though I guess you could get, you know, you could get voted. Like if you're the guy who always looks up the mechanics, you could get like the work, the workhorse vote and get rewarded that way. But kind of textually, there's no in-game mechanical reward for attaining game mastery, but there can be an extremely satisfying personal payoff for doing so. I'm right. I, I agree completely. But this is, this is an alien planet for me because this is almost never what does it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I, I'm, I'm more likely to be the kind of person who tries to exhaust content. Mm-hmm. Also, for in, in video game terms, I'm more of a PvE player than a PvP player, which is to say that uh, in a game like Halo or Destiny or, whatever the, or, or Call of Duty that has a single player and a multiplayer component, I will often never do the multiplayer component. And that's where, because and multiplayer is, a, is an area where system mastery is not just, is, can be tested or displayed or proven or whatever, because, and even though there are often different systems, but where you can, I mean, you know, where the, the PvP, the player versus player mechanic and say Tomb Raider is very different from the, or not very, I don't know, not very, but it's different mm-hmm. from fighting AIs. But in an RPG or a card game or a board game, right? In a board game, so often player system mastery is well, demonstrated you, in multiplayer. Right. And it gives you an advantage. Yeah. Right. Right. Which was... So the reward is is the ability to lord it over somebody. Right. Well, the yeah. So kind of the second order, a second order reward of attaining system mastery is now you are better at playing than another person. Right. Which may or may not be... Uh, suitable to the game in a in a board game right that clearly is something that certain games are like having a full comprehension of how the game works gives you an advantage and you will probably win over someone who doesn't and then you have situations where people have trouble like i'm the only one who knows this game well enough i want to play with my friends but none of them are good enough at it for it to be a challenging game right like you see that kind of conversation oh i yeah i've um for for me, the only the only games that I've ever reached that point with, as an example, and I have to, I'm saying this out loud because I'm just kind of now realizing how this relates to my potentially to some of the RPG experience. So the game that comes to mind for me is either Poker or Seven Wonders. 
And mm. here's and here's there are important differences, and I want to see if we can mine something from them from the RPG metaphor. Poker. I, I was a I played poker quite a bit for several years, and I would sit down at tables and say, my goal is to is to not leave this table before that person does, because that person is I think the next person above me in skill. Whether maybe I know them, maybe I've been watching them play, whatever it is. But I say, so my job is to get one position better than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. I needed a metric by which I could say I am getting better. Right. Right. And so the mm-hmm. fact that that metric was a person, I would actually, I would actively feel bad about mm-hmm. right. for three hours. Or but whatever. as opposed to saying like, I want to make you feel bad. Right. But Or <laughs> saying like, here's the amount of dollars I must win right. at this table in order right. for me to feel like I'm being a successful poker player. Well, and, and very quickly, uh, part, well, that's one of the interesting things about the, re- the various reward cycles in poker is that very quickly, depending on what skill levels you're playing at and, and the kind of tables you're able to sit down at, money is, is one of the least communicable measures. You can get lucky and make a lot of money in one hand. So yeah, questions are things like how long can you stay in for? Wh- what position do you take in a tournament for me? And was learning that, for example, that's, a, that's system mastery right there, game learning in a way right there was something that I was learning so that I wasn't measuring myself against numbers that I was never going to be able to compete with. And then likewise, in a game like Seven Wonders, I very quickly stopped playing against other players' point totals at the game. Seven Wonders is a brilliant game. Do you mm-hmm. play Seven Wonders? Yes, I have. Okay, I'm I, not very good at it. <laughs> well, but, and it's still fun, right? That's one, yeah. of the, that's one of the metrics I use for that game. Mm-hmm. Also, because my experience with Seven Wonders is that people can get good at it fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And then once they think they've gotten good at it, their scores will start to tank because they will start experimenting or start going, trying. oh, I got this figured out. Yeah. Well, that's like, uh, <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm actually very good based on who I generally play at Ticket to Ride. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a certain strategy that I can follow in Ticket to Ride that will usually put me in either first or second place. Nice. But sometimes that's kind of boring. Sure. So I'll try something else and then I'll end up in fourth place because, right. you know, it's like, oh, well, it turns out there's actually kind of an optimum set of Right. Of metric, you know, there's kind of an optimum way to approach that game. And when you deviate from it, then you have to be lucky to, right. in order for that to pay off right, right. kind of thing. And then similar, uh, 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 yeah, I mean, Seven Wonders, a lot of your games actually have this kind of space, which is that they're not the kind of games, they're not puzzles, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can just solve the game. Because right. if anybody, poker is actually sort of similar, is that depending on how much the people at the, play, at the table choose to get risky, you can, you're playing, in some sense, almost a different game. Not just a different kind of game, right? But you're like, mm-hmm. there's the, everybody at this table is, is, is gambling their money. Mm. And everybody at this table is running them, is doing the numbers, mm. right? And neither one of them is unfair. Yeah. But that game gets interesting when the table's a mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it gets, it gets volatile when the table's a mix. Uh, in Seven Wonders, I started comparing myself to past point scores. And I found that I sure. could pretty reliably hit certain numbers with the people that we tend to play with, regardless of the number of players, which I thought was interesting mm. because the way that game is built. It's such a cleverly constructed game. It's just, I mean, you, you play primarily with the players to your right and to your left and you can play up to seven people and it's simultaneous. So you're all playing at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's really, it's very clever. But um, I'm wondering about that, how that translates to the RPG space, if at all, but in the sense of like, because it's difficult to say why I'm such a better, I am so much better at describing dungeon corridors than I was last week. But it's definitely there, right? Mm-hmm. What's interesting yeah. is how rarely system mastery is com- is communicable. Yeah, where it's like comparing across games, yeah. right? Yeah. Other than some kind of metric, I guess, of like, I got to 17th level or whatever. But Which is that's still, still so, so fuzzy. Yeah, that, that's, you know, it might take your group eight years to get to 17th level. Right. It might take my group six months because we just right. play differently and take different shortcuts yeah. and care yeah. about different things. What is it that, that reward cycles can reward? The, the the maddening, I think, and probably one of the intimidating answers to that in game design is, that, well, you can reward anything. Right. It's also what makes it possible for game design to be monstrous. 
I mean, yes. just to, to be horrific. Yeah, you, you you can you can create a pernicious oh, game. Good word. You can create the the games that that reward really sociopathic behavior, right, or something like that. The act of building a reward cycle is itself value neutral. Like it's what right. the reward cycle actually both is rewarding the actions or or behaviors it's rewarding, and also the places that it drives the players that they would not otherwise have gone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know? Do you know the game Spec Ops: The Line? Have you read about this? No. Okay, so this is a video game that I've not finished for this reason. Uh, it's set in a Middle Eastern city after a sandstorm consumes it, and you are on a apocalypse now kind of journey into the city to find the military unit that disappeared in there, trying to save the city and or carry out missions or whatever. And over the course of the game, you are asked to do more and more horrific things to the enemy: uh, uh, white phosphorus grenades and airstrikes and all sorts of stuff, things that, that, that many other shooter games might ask you to do. But the game agonizes over this in some cases. And your characters do not deal with it the way that like Gears of War characters deal with it. They get, they're severely traumatized by the experience. And what's fascinating is that it was essentially a big budget uh, game, certainly by the standards of I mean, indie games. And it's not a, a novelty little 20 minute thing. Mm. It's a big shooter game and it was sold as a big shooter game. But as you play it, what you realize is that the only option that you have to not be complicit in this game is to stop playing it. And I stopped playing it because it was just because it was difficult and I kind of saw what was going on. I found it more interesting to read about it and I did read a lot about it. It's been written about quite a bit now. But it's designed so that its reward cycle rewards you for doing terrible things and then wants you to know how you feel about being rewarded for doing bad things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's meta, but it also creates that dynamic like we talked about before about there's a buy-in Right, And the buy-in is I paid for this game and not playing it is, that's a cop-out. That's not actually a, a fair, a legit game design. And to me, like that piece of music, 433, I think that's right, which mm-hmm. is all rests. Yeah, It's a four minutes of silence. You get to do that once. You get to make a game once. The, the, the business gets to make that game once that says huh. the way to win this game is to just stop playing it. Mm-hmm. It's to just, to not, you want to be in the conversation, play it enough to be in the conversation or whatever, but you can't make it better. You can't get out of this. Yeah, The only way to stop it is to literally stop it. Because the game will give you no other outs. But you keep playing maybe in search of them. And that in itself puts you in the mindset of these characters who continue to follow immoral orders from people who may or may not be in contact with command or whatever. Yeah. In the hopes that things will get better. And they're just not getting better. Mm. And, the, and that's sort of an example where the reward cycle is neutral enough that it would pass as a reward cycle in any other game. And is yeah, it's the this, context. Yeah. And, and the way it's yeah, portrayed and the way it's mm. talked about and what it does to the fictional characters. I mean, that's one of the things about games that's great and also dangerous is that the act of playing, the act of choosing to play makes you complicit in the decision making at some point. I'm not just being sassy. I'm, I'm genuinely mm-hmm. l- lament this. I, 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 I gnash my teeth about this. Is that true? Is the desire to play a game about a thing? Right. Like is it's that, already the game is, is made. <laughs> is that equivalent to saying this is reflecting my, my actual beliefs? Or something like that. Or even right. is it the, the argument that it might belittle it because you're doing, you're participating in cartoon violence for entertainment, mm-hmm. which is still different than watching cartoon violence well, for entertainment, right. which that's is the, still different from... I mean, that's the, the thing about about game games in general, and I think, you know, just the, the, the kinds of games that we talked about. They still occupy this middle space between, and this is outside of the, like, our game's art, because they obviously are, but outside of that, as a media... Mm-hmm. They occupy a space that is not the space of a movie where you can go watch the movie about the spec ops 
plot, essentially. And disapprove the whole time that you're sitting in the theater. Right. Or be like, wow, this is a really powerful insight into the structural power of being in a militarized system or whatever. Mm -hmm. And on some level, you're saying, I'm watching this and I am trusting the people that made it to have had some kind of authorial intent and ability to make that intent apparent. And I may not agree with it, but just because I'm watching it doesn't mean that I'm part of it. Right. 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 So there, so, so there's that. And then there's the actual, like, I'm going to go do this thing. Right. And that's where you are part of it. Right. And the, and games are in between games are, are in this conceptual space where it can be very difficult to separate out for yourself by sitting down to play this game. Does that mean that I am by definition putting some part of myself into that decision, right? Like I am only playing this game because there's something in me that, mm. that approves of this subject matter. Cause if you like entirely, like I want no part of this, but you still see the movie is that different than I want no part of this, but you play the game. Right. And there's a, I think there's a cultural sense in which that there are plenty of games that I play where I wouldn't see the movie. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of movies I watch that I wouldn't play the game. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, that liminal state of games, right? Which is that the game in a way doesn't, something it feels at least like doesn't happen unless you make it happen in a game. The game won't complete itself unless you complete it. Right. Whereas a movie is done. Right. But we can argue over one, I think into infinity and two, rightly so, that whether or not is a movie, like so a movie is it's been made, right? But if I get up and I turn off the movie so that I don't see the rest of it, or I, whatever, I take it back and I try to get a refund or whatever it is, right? I mean, whatever I walk level out, of, I walk, walk out, out halfway through and demand my money back. Right? Yeah. Are these level, are these degrees of stopping something akin to making a decision in a game that keeps something that has already been coded and already been painted and already been modeled and already been rendered or written in the adventure or made a little miniature for whatever it is from happening? Even though, you know, whatever it is, kobold orphan miniature figure exists, right? There's a potentiality versus finality difference. And some of that is, and I do think this isn't tied into the reward system, mm -hmm. right? Some, right? Because the notion is, I think it interacts with our notions of what a reward system is versus feels like, which is that because it feels rewarding, it feels more real. Mm -hmm. As if a movie in which you stand up and cheer is more of a movie than a movie in which you just kind of nod and go, that was good. Not sure if it's the same, but I think it's a similar idea that if you, the, so you, you're, you're in the game and you're doing a thing, you're going to go kill some kobold orphans or whatever. Is there a difference between, between a game that like, where that's just part of what could happen and you choose to do it and it's not particularly weighted over any of the other course of action you could take versus a game that says, when you go kill the kobold orphans, you get this extra experience versus when you go kill kobold orphans, you lose a level because you're committing an evil act. Well, uh, right, uh, right, right. Like those are three situations and three different on-ramps into reward cycles that I think place the, the onus maybe, place, place the feeling of responsibility differently on the player or the designer or the scenario creator, game master, mm -hmm. whatever. Well, and they certainly change the, the nature of the reward changes the context in a big deal, right? Which is mm -hmm. if you kill these, if you orphan these kobold children, the village will be saved for 10 years until these kobold orphans grow up and want to come and get revenge. Or if you orphan these kobolds, we will give you a medal. 
you know, one one of them is a lament, lamentable, but or lamentable, but perhaps in our times, in our Viking era, mm. just the way things are done. And if the game gives you no out, gives you no way to, that you can't just say, I'm just not going to do that. Or if it, the game says, if you don't, somebody else will. Some other player in this multiplayer universe will come along and do it. We, mm. we will find somebody to kill those kobolds. And your answer is, well, at least I can kill them humanely or something or whatever, right. however we got here. But is that... <laughs> But and I, the reason I, I, I want to split that hair is because I do think right. I mean because the portrayal of it is is not only so important. If it weren't vital to the nature of feeling about it, then literature would not be a thing. I end up with a fair number of video games that are in genres that I'm interested in that I play not very much of because they don't play the way that I. Their, their activities, their reward cycles, and their behaviors that they're rewarding are not things that I feel like doing every three days or whenever I get a chance to play a video game. Mm-hmm. I'll read fantasy novels or science fiction novels or thrillers or whatever, spy novels that I'm like, eh, it's fine, but I get to spend some time in the spy genre or whatever. With an RPG, the genre is often, and very unusually so, but I think closest to say fiction or movies in this regard, the genre is a re- can be a reward unto itself because you get to sit at a table and talk like you are a wrestler or a thief or a spy or a filmmaker or a TV producer or whatever for, for two or three hours. You get to talk like that. And so, I mean, RPGs are in a weird spot, right? And that yeah. I'll, I'll turn up to play. I, I, I'm enjoying the, the, the new Witcher game, but I don't play it for very long because I find that it gets so ornate and so deep that I start, it's I feel like, oh, to do this well, I'm going to have to, I got to really carve out a good three hours to do this. And I don't have three hours at a time mm-hmm. to do that. And so the activity and the genre, the, the genre is not enough to get me to do the activities. Mm-hmm. But in an RPG, which is such a conversational game, I mean, I don't know. Do we have an advantage? Or is that just kind of a neutral factor? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think I'm just having having trouble putting putting this into words. I think it is an advantage maybe not that we have like over other games, but I think it is inherent in the form mm-hmm. that if you're going to have a, f- a fulfilling game, it's kind of going to going to be fulfilling because you're sitting around with your friends, speaking in funny voices and waving your hands like a Muppet. On a certain level, the, the social aspect of it is one of the most compelling aspects. Well, and and so certainly one of the fundamental aspects. Certainly fundamental. I think pr- particularly compelling for mm-hmm. role-playing games. Maybe that's arguable. But so like if the genre gets you to the table, that's great. And then if you have a enjoyable experience with that game, kind of almost regardless of whether it fulfills the promise of the genre or not, right? Oh, yeah. If you have like, if, if we sit down to play the, the Witcher RPG with our friends and have a great time, I'm going to be like, oh, I liked this game. It was fun. Even if I don't care about Witcher, never played a video game. Right. And then when people ask me, oh, how's that game? I'd be like, oh, I played it once. It's not really like I'm not really invested in it as a property, but I had a really fun time playing with Will. Yeah, yeah. Because the example I'm thinking of, I guess, is that you're making me think of here is the, the person who sits down to play an RPG. And especially this is, I think, and I said, I said this a lot, is the problem with first time sessions for people. And it's not a problem with the players. It's a problem with the intersection of the hobby and the first time player. Is that you sit down with a somebody who is just learning for the first time, also to, be, to try to run a game or who doesn't know how to play or plays very differently from you. And you will assume, I guess these kinds of games aren't for me. Or I guess... Or you might, right? Sure. I guess I'm not very good at these games Mm -hmm. because the notion of what good at is very different from like, no, you played a terrible dwarf thief really well. You were great at it. You were, the game just didn't, the game didn't reward you, but the experience did, Mm -hmm. right? Well, if neither rewards you, you're going to go, I don't know why people do this. And if the experience does, but the game doesn't, because of what we learned from other games, you might still be like, like me, for example, I enjoy baseball or I enjoy the occasionally playing softball or or a little bit of baseball or whatever, or watch something on television, but not, not, not that much. Not so much that I make a habit of it, but for me, it's easy to distinguish between baseball is not for me and I guess sports are not for me. Right. As opposed yeah. to 
I mean, they're not, but as <laughs> for me, but that's a, that's a problem with me, not, not a problem with sports, but is that... Right, yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't go to play soccer for the first time and not be able to keep up with anyone and get dribbled around and not be able to guard the goal and right. lose and go, wow, I must be really bad at sports. Well, or even right? the, the fact that I'm bad at soccer means that soccer is a stupid game or, I mean, people do that all the time. I'm sure I do it, but, um, but also the, the circumstance where you say like, it, it's easier to, for example, to, I think, or to get together and play pool. I've sure. never been a good pool player, but yeah. I will play pool. Yeah. Right. Very different experience where you say, I'm enjoying this game. And I'm terrible at it. Yeah. Like, and I'm a big believer in that as a review mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not good at it, but I am having fun. Right. Yeah. Um, and in RPGs, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's important, obviously, like any other game, because it's entirely possible to have a good time and be, be terrible at it. Mm-hmm. And because it's a skilled game in a different way, you can you will get better at it almost, almost, you would have to fight yourself to not get better at it if you just kept playing. To get yeah. better at the RPG part of it. Speaking of someone who has not been a first-time player for a very long time, sure. you know, the you can kind of see the ramp up to being like, oh, this is how you do this. Mm-hmm. It's not that steep of a ramp, I don't think. But I the, think so, certainly for us. But it, it's but it right. It doesn't have to be. It's not like in the same way that that being that getting physically fit to right. be to be a runner is right. a steep ramp. <laughs> and I think there is you know, and there there is an element of like there's always something to learn, something to improve yeah. uh, of your own playcraft over time. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I think a lot of it is just being in a supportive environment with people who mm-hmm. don't give you crap for maybe not having the the mental model for like how it all fits together. Right? That might be or, the, or just not that day or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 So many of us who play RPGs are attracted to the storytelling and to the genre and or to the mm-hmm. invention of it, the imagination of it. Yeah. Things that we, in some to some capacity, can do without the game part of it. Although I think obviously many, I mean, we enjoy the game part of it, and it's the intersection of those that's, that's always been compelling and appealing to me. But is that it means that RPGs are in a position, and, I, and this is why I can't decide if it's advantageous or not. But I guess what I mean, right, is just that because even if they're inventing a genre, they are genre machines. Even if the genre that they're that they're doing sure. is their own mm-hmm. invented particular weird tweak on a genre like like dungeons and dragons world. like dungeons and dragons is not yeah it's not epic fantasy in all the traditional ways it's D. it's mm. really what it is, is it's its own thing and so if you want to do like whatever any x percent of the things that D does well and you cannot roll dice to save your or you or you or, or today you just can't do the math or mm. you can't like like me and you would do anything to avoid division or whatever it is the very nature of play can get to the point where the meta, the largest reward cycle fulfills itself, which is that I get to sit down and hang out with my friends for four hours, or right. I get to sit down and talk shop for four hours. I could sit down and talk about mm-hmm. D&D for four well, hours. And that, that happens, right? There's the, the idea of the, the social game or the casual game where, yeah. sure, we, we, we play this game, but we are more about just hanging out. And if someone can't show up, then instead of trying to force it, we just hang out with whoever's there or there's or the classic example of some some weeks we never even touch the dice yeah right which is totally cool and mm-hmm. legit right but that's a thing where the fiction's reward cycle is doing it's is doing the, is carrying all the weight that week yeah or yeah. the social reward cycle or the social reward cycle whatever it is yeah yeah we're getting some great questions through the website at designgamespodcast.com And we're thinking about putting together an episode or two featuring them. So if you would like to contribute a question for us, go to designgamespodcast.com and click on Ask. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please consider supporting us at Patreon so that we can continue to bring these episodes to you. 
My Patreon is at patreon.com slash ndpaoletta. My Patreon is at patreon.com slash wordwill. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just...